Welcome to the Preach and Persuade podcast. My name is Sam Parada. I'm here with Dan Rudman. And we have been having a, a discussion on evangelism. Uh, the last few episodes, we've been talking about methodology in evangelism. Um, our last episode, we really focused on this whole idea of, you know, mass evangelism, you know, preaching to stadiums full of people, you know, 50, 60, 100,000 people gathered to hear the gospel. And so, I mean, that was a very interesting discussion. So I encourage you to go back and listen to that. But we're going to move on, you know, under this, you could say under the subtopic of methodology in evangelism, we're going to kind of transition over to this idea of apologetics and how does apologetics fit into our evangelism and Dan and I come from the the belief that really we can't separate our use of apologetics from evangelism uh, it's not like we go out and do apologetics and then on a different day we go out and do evangelism these things are inextricably tied for us I and mean, we do apologetics to do evangelism, and in a sense, they're one and the same thing, if you could say they're they're part of the same conversation, but we'll kind of hash that out a little bit and, and break that down a little bit for you. But apologetics is, I mean, I, I don't know, it's a, it's a fun topic for me. It's kind of like a novelty thing. I, I remember being young, I mean, I'm young, but when I was really starting to dive into theology and learning about the Bible and all this stuff, apologetics was one of those just like, you know, super cool topics like oh you're studying apologetics like that's just like a, a cool thing and and I don't know it's just fascinating to me and but I'm still kind of a nerd about apologetics definitely and the philosophy of it and just reasoning and arguing and maybe it's just like to argue but there's just a, there's a lot of misconceptions around apologetics and hopefully we can kind of clear some of those up right now and what Dan and I are probably going to do is we're probably just going to have an introduction on apologetics and really just kind of discuss those misconceptions as it relates to evangelism. And we'll probably, I don't know, sometime in the future actually have a whole series on apologetics because there's there's been an ongoing discussion on apologetics for, for centuries and centuries, and really since the beginning of, you know, of the church, 2,000 years. The, the Christians have been using or doing apologetics, and the methods have changed, have changed, and people have all these different ideas on what is what is you know, the correct apologetic technique or method. And so there's just a lot to be said about that. But this will just be kind of a an introduction on it, how it relates to evangelism, how we use it. Again, kind of hopefully be a little bit more practical, how we use it in our evangelistic ministries. But the guy that, you know, both Dan and I would probably say is at least lately in the 20th and 21st century has written a lot about apologetics and we would say is is kind of the authority on it is John Frame and and there's been certain guys throughout you know throughout the this last century that have have been you know big voices in the in the area of apologetics but John Frame is is a guy that I really trust and a guy that I really enjoy reading I think he has a lot of great things to say about apologetics and so I'm going to be referencing him a lot, especially right now I have, I mean, he has a lot of books on this stuff. So if you want to read about apologetics, read John Frame. But right now I'm reading from, it's called Apologetics to the Glory of God, an Introduction by John Frame. So where we get this idea of apologetics or this word apologetics is from 1 Peter 3.15. And so it says, you know, be ready to give it to defense of your faith or whatever. And and the Greek word is apologia, and that's where we, you know, get this word apologetic. So if you're wondering, well, what is apologetic? Why do we call it apologetics? It's from the Greek 
root apologia. Um, but John Frame really defines apologetics. Uh, let's see here. I got to turn to his page here. Very simply, and it's derived from First Peter. I'll read the I'll read the passage, and then you'll see where I'm getting this definition from. It says this. But in your hearts, starting in verse 15 in, in 1 Peter chapter 3, but in your hearts set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. So John Frame goes on to say, we may define uh, apologetics as the discipline that teaches Christians how to give a reason for their hope. Uh, and then in a different book that he's, he's written, it's called The Doctrine of the Knowledge of God, he defined apologetics as the application of Scripture to unbelief. So one thing that you see is key about these definitions is that they're both grounded in Scripture. They're both grounded in this Christian, re- Christian reality. They're yeah. both grounded could, in, could you read that in Jesus is Lord. Could you read it again? Which one? Yeah. Just that last part of that definition, or Frame's definition. Yeah, the last one was uh, it's uh, the application of Scripture to unbelief. Okay, good, yeah. And then he goes on to say, this will be the, you know, wrap up this little bit of an introduction to this introduction on apologetics. Uh, but he says apologetics kind of has three categories. You have apologetics as proof. So that's presenting a rational basis for faith or proving Christianity Christianity to be true. He says that Jesus and the apostles often offered evidence to people who had difficulty believing that the gospel was true. So John 14, 11, John uh, 20, 24, 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 11. Uh, and then two, he says apologetics as defense, answering the objections of unbelief, and Paul describes his mission as defending and confirming the gospel. So if we go to Philippians chapter 1, we see in verse 7 and verse 16, um, where he, he says, let me see, I'm pulling up the scripture here. He says, in verse 7, it is right for me to feel this way about you all, because I, I, uh, I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me in grace, both to my imprisonment, and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. So there you see those words, defense and confirmation of the gospel. If you go down to verse 16, in chapter 1 of Philippians, you also see the latter do out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. So we see central to Paul's mission and his call as an apostle and as an evangelist and is to defend the gospel. Yeah. So that is an aspect of apologetics is defending the gospel. And then the third aspect of apologetics is apologetics as offense. So you have defense, offense. And that is uh, attacking the foolishness of unbelieving thought. Um, and where we see this is uh, 2 Corinthians 10.5. or yeah, 10.5. It says, that We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. So again, there's this there's this very offensive aspect to about, to apologetics. We we are actively demolishing arguments that go against scripture, that go against the gospel, um, and so a lot of people tend to just have this narrow category of apologetics that it's only a defense. But we see in scripture too that it's also an offensive 
uh, thing as well. So that's just a really brief introduction on apologetics. Um, but Dan, I mean, what what comes to your mind? Uh, oh yeah. What are your thoughts? Well, um, I actually have a lot of thoughts right now. Uh, <laughs> right. I know. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm writing myself some notes here to write down. Okay, so first of all, yeah, you, you've given this introduction, and, it, and this discussion is much – there's a lot more to this, right? There's volumes yeah, written. absolutely. And, and, and I think you want to explore some of that down the road. But for today, um, yeah, we're just having a, this general conversation. But So even when you refer to frame, I would say, you know, people listening to this, there, there's these various ways you step into thinking about this. You – you know, frame would be no question like the high level intellectual. Yep. And not to disparage that, I'm talking about detail, Bible, theology. You want to go at the academic level at this, you go to a guy like frame. There's others. Um, yep. Scott, Scott Oliphant is another guy. That, yep. You know, these guys are your, and, and so, so what I'm trying to distinguish is they're not necessarily. The more, a more popular writing. It's more technical. It's more serious. Yeah. And, yep. I, and yep. I'm That's trying to I, I'm trying yep. to say it as partially as an encouragement because Sam, I know you, a guy like you would totally like love the detail and, and the volumes of, <laughs> of knowledge you do. Other people just want to kind of get to the gist of it. And yep. and yep. there and there would be other people that would be the, in that realm. So so when I think of you know I think of frame and elephant as like, like a category of guys who are incredibly academic. Yep, men of, regarding this issue. Yeah, I mean they're the seminary professors. Yeah, that, exactly, that exactly. But yeah. on a on a popular level, I think of like Oz Guinness's book "Fool's Talk." Sure. You know, and even sure. that, even that, you got to use your brain. To be honest with you, it's yeah. not. You know, <laughs> uh, "Case for Christ," for example, would be a really pop book by like Lee. Yeah, Strobel. that's a popular book. Yeah. Uh, not and when I say popular, I don't even mean just popular. I'm using the word pop like. Um, like this would be just a simple cookies at the low shelf for everybody. Oh sure, that's what I mean. It's not. I don't mean it, anything negative. There's nothing negative in my right. in my and, ideas. Or, or like or like Tim Keller's The Reason for God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm just trying to give you different categories of genre, if you will, of of the entering into this discussion. And yeah. so exactly perfect. Tim Keller. You could say Lee Strobel's Case for Christ. Um, but then you get to like Oz Guinness, who's talking about. Um, uh, uh, the fool's talk. You get into actually another person in here that you know I love is Francis Schaeffer. He's somewhere yep. between the academic and you know he's kind of the Oz Guinness kind of guy. He's very practical. I mean, it's it's stuff you got to think. You got to use your brain. But he's um, he's uh, writing not as an uh, academician, not as a, a sure. seminary prof. So that's all helpful. Um, I think when you talk about 2 Corinthians 10, I would step back a couple verses so people understand. He actually says, yeah. uh, we, we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh, for the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. Mm. So that context of we are destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God, and we're taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ, is in the context of spiritual warfare. Yeah, and, the, and 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 get the gist of that warfare. The warfare is isn't this interesting? The warfare is that we are not uh, our weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh. Okay. Yeah. Yep. And so yep. so what is the weapons? What's the weapon he's talking about there? Well, well, think about this, guys. 
the weapon he's talking about there is the scriptures. It's the knowledge of God. Right. This is divinely powerful. He's saying, yes. we have these things that are set up against the knowledge of God, and we're bringing, if you will, the revelation and the knowledge of God in contrast to what's going on out there. Right. So, it is a warfare. And our weapons, yep. are, our weapons are not carnal. And it starts with the divine knowledge of God. And one of the things I know you and I want to do here, Sam, is we want to emphasize that discussion because when we, the minute you mention apologetics, it's like a lot of these things we've been talking about through this whole series. These connotations jump into a person's mind. Connotations, yep. concepts. You have this idea of what you think it means, but maybe you've never really sat down and thought about it. You heard somebody make one statement or you heard, yep. saw some demonstration and you, were, and you drew a conclusion about that. So it could yep. be evangelism, could be the evangelist. We've talked about all of that. Apologetics is the same thing. And so what we want to do, at least today in our, say, our introduction, is say how we think about apologetics to make sure that we people don't just put a connotation into our into our grid, right? Right, right. And and I've had that. I've had that from, you know, say the the basic layperson all the way to people in ministry who will will kind of. Um, be against apologetics, but they have an idea in their mind of what apologetics is. And then when I hear them kind of speak negative, I'm like, well, yeah, I agree with you. I don't think of apologetics, you know, like, right, like right. But, but I don't think of it like you're <laughs> thinking of it. Right. So I would want to, this, this is a wonderful time to clarify this. So you've already read a few scriptures. First, further, I would say, going back to 1 Corinthians, I think we talked about that before, but Thinking of methods, okay? So last time we talked about, gave a few examples out of Acts. Well, that's exactly yep. what Paul was doing. Is he was defending the faith. He was defending this. And like you just read, there's a defensive posture and there's an offensive posture, right? Mm -hmm. And so the early, um, I'll share, I have a little chart here I would like to read here in a moment of the defense of the faith in the, in the first, first and second century. They were, they were obviously thinking about these, but let's take a step before the that and look at like first corinthians 15 what's paul saying here you know we've already read this but he's uh make known to you brother in the gospel i delivered to you as first importance i skipped a few verses here it's one through eight i'm just kind of kind of hitting again but listen to what he's doing though i delivered to you as first importance what i also received that christ died for our sins according to the scriptures now he's speaking to the old testament and that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures um, uh, appeared to Peter and the 12. And after that, he appeared to more than 500 brethren at one time, most of who remain until now, but some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, all the apostles, last of all, to one untimely born, appeared to me also. But think about what he's doing. He's saying, folks, listen, what we believe was prophesied in the scriptures. When he says scriptures there, he's thinking Old Testament primarily. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. I realize there's a, there's a beginning movement of what we call the New Testament canon because he's writing right. scripture, and they knew that they were writing what you would think of as scripture. They knew that. Yep. You know, they refer to that. Uh, you know, Peter refers to Paul as writing scripture, and right. so that that's there's no conflict there. Um, but the point being is that when he in this case he's giving a defense, he's saying Old Testament prophecies talked about this. Then he talks about Christ rising. Old Testament prophecies talked about this. And then he says, 
more than if you're not sure more than 500 brethren at one time most of them remain until now hey most of those people are still alive go ask them mm. so he's giving a defense for this gospel in in first corinthians 15 and further it's my understanding first corinthians 15 those first eight verses are like a doctrinal statement they're written kind of mm-hmm. like a, in a like a hymn form. There's a there's a you know there's a, a a standard statement. So when Paul said, "I want to make known to you what was handed to me," and it would be yeah. like it would be like quoting a doctrinal statement or quoting uh, you know a confession of faith, yeah, or a and, creed or something. Yeah, creed. That's what he's doing there. And so this was being handed down, and this is a defense of the faith. It's a defense. It's just that's all that yep. means is that we're making a reasonable account for why we believe what we believe is all you're trying yes. to do. I mean, yes. so, so, um, and the other thing that we've been emphasizing from our entire discussion, Sam, is that, um, you know, and again, I tell you all the time that, I mean, I want to go back and say, God's really there and he really spoke to us and we're going to start with scripture. Mm-hmm. And so, I realize that there's a lot of apologetics that want to go to start with a philosophical argument or whatever. And I, I really yep, don't, yep. I don't, I technically don't really want to do that. It's not like I sit no. around reading philosophers. Now I've read some philosophy so I can be astute to what's going on and what people are talking about to the degree I can, but yeah. I'm not, I'm not enamored with all that. I want to stick with the scriptures. I want to be a Bible guy to be exactly. honest with you, because I want to rest in the knowledge of God. Now just um, did I say too much? I mean, here we are, you know. No, podcast. I don't think you said okay. too much at all. I keep okay. going. Okay. Oh, okay. <laughs> all right. Well, well. then what I want to do is just quickly in my notes this morning, I wanted to shift quickly and say, I mean, you go back to the early, the first and second century, and we had these these people, and I've got a little chart here in a book. It's a wonderful little church history book by uh, uh, Earl Carnes, or Cairns. I don't know how he pronounces his name. But um, he's got a nice little chart here. Of, it calls The Defense of the Faith. And he compares what he called apologist to polemicist. Mm. And you don't hear polemicists very much. He kind of usually just put them in the category of apologetics. Yep, you know, it yep. kind of gets encompassed into one. But they're actually technically two different things here. So if I could, you know, put the chart up. We're doing a podcast. You can't put the chart. But here's, here's, the, here's what I found fascinating. Okay, apologists, on one hand, were converted, converted from paganism. They were people who were influenced by a non-Christian, unbelieving pagan world. They had heard all yes. the pagan arguments, if you will. And so they yes. they faced external persecution. And they wanted to use the Old Testament primarily to uh, they defend and explain Christianity uh, in kind of a defensive way. And so, number one, they would speak to the heads of the state. And they wanted to answer false charges that were being leveled at Christians because Christians were receiving persecution. And part of it was there were people that believed things about the Christians that weren't true. Right. So they actually wanted to go. No, we have good qualities. We're good. we're a good citizenry. You want us around. We're good people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, they that I said that in the previous podcast. That's actually what they were doing. Uh, then, yep. the, then there was a, a category of apologists who were trying to convince the Jews that just Jesus was the Messiah. Yep. Then there was a category that were dealing with the pagan intellectuals. It's what you see with mm. Paul going to Athens. He, again, yep. I want to go to my Bible. Paul did this. He, you know, he did yeah, the Jew, he did. Jews, but he did it with the Gentiles, right? So it was a refutation of pagan idolatry and immorality. Christianity is superior. Christianity actually answers your questions. 
I think I brought it up last time. Paul's going in there with these Epicurean and Stoic philosophers. They have questions, and he goes, oh, I can tell you your answer. Christianity right. has the answer, right? So yep. I found that interesting. Now, there was another category within here that uh, Karen's uh, pulls out, and he calls them polemicists. I find this interesting. Most of them were raised within the Christian culture. Okay, So the apologists came from outside the Christian culture, came to faith in Christ, and then, which I find, by the way, another discussion about evangelism and evangelists, I find this a lot. Those mm -hmm. that kind of want to go back to the streets, if you will, that's kind of how I say it, often come from the streets. And now I want to go back to my people with the gospel. Yeah, yeah. And it, yeah. It's, it's interesting to me because then you find people who want to kind of stay within the church and be pastors, teachers often, or these polemicists, they kind of grew up around the church culture. They're in it. Yeah, yeah. Doesn't I don't necessarily yep. mean they were regenerated or a Christian yet, but that was their world. It's it's yep. inter, inter, interesting providence how God works. So the polemicists were raised in a Christian culture. They infer, face the internal heresy ideas, the, the false ideas coming into the church. Yeah. And so, so they use the New Testament a lot. Uh, they attack these heretical ideas. And, and I could go on, but it's the external attack of pagan intellectuals again, but the internal attack were these false ideas coming into the church. Mm. So technically, all I'm saying is he breaks it down and calls them polemicists. Sure. So, so in a sense, the polemicists were the inward focus, let's protect the church from false belief and false ideas. And the apologists were, let's get outside and go. Yep. I just think that's, I think it's fascinating because right now, generally... What I find in practice, again, if we just go on this on the street, the everyday stuff, let's not get all wrapped up with the academia of it, uh, the intellectual stuff of it. Um, a lot of guys that tend to be interested in apologetics, that is uh, addressing the issues of the day and helping people understand why Christianity is the answer, tend to also see these false ideas coming into the church. I see that a lot. I see it in my own life, but I see it around a lot of yeah, the guys. Absolutely. guys I, a lot of the guys I hang around are very similar. And we don't say, oh, you're doing the work of polemicist now. You know what I mean? It's kind of all kind of, <laughs> kind of all falls in the same category. So if I could read this, and then I, I'm going to shut up for a minute, and you can carry on. But I like this. This was a statement from, I think, it, I think it's actually a statement from Karen's on, uh, the, on Clement of Alexandria in the 2nd century. He said this. Uh, I love this quote. Clement was versed not only in the Holy Scriptures, but also in the knowledge of the time. He understood the questions and problems of the young people. Clement had to enter their world, distangle their conceptions, and lead them slowly from error to the true knowledge of Christianity. Right? True knowledge. The wisdom of God. His purpose was not primarily theological, but pastoral. He aimed to win not arguments, but men to Christ. Hear that? He aimed to win not arguments, but men to Christ. A lot of times right. apologetics exactly. looks, looks like you're trying to reason somebody into something by winning an argument. No, 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 no. That's not right. what we're about. It was a risky venture. The church had reason to be afraid of pagan thought. See, you could imagine somebody on the inside, say the pastor who's going, well, I don't know, you're kind of pushing the edge over there. But it was not easy to disengage the pagan values and religious myths running through their educational literature. See, I think that's an incredible statement of our day. Um, I, I just, I can't say it enough. I always use the word secular, but just think of, a domino effect again. I've said it from the beginning. What is the first premise by which I think about all things? I've got to work that exactly. through. And it has to be the, the true living God exists. Not the concept of God, but God himself. And that he gave us true knowledge. He spoke to us. Mm -hmm. 
the educational systems that we are steeped in today, every one of our kids, pretty much everybody probably born after 1960 or beyond, you know, 60, 65, 70, probably, I'm going to guess, we've all been steeped in educational systems, thought systems, ideologies, isms, that yep. were that were secular. They did not start with God. They started with autonomous man, sociology, yep. psychology, uh, political science, economics. All of those systems are systems of academic interpretation of our world based on autonomous man. Now, yep. don't note here what I'm not saying. Okay, don't hear what I'm not saying. <laughs> I'm not saying there isn't a value in that knowledge or that they come up with some good stuff. They actually do come up with some good stuff. But the complete, the, the knowledge they come up with, when put into the context of a worldview of thinking through all of life and, and fitting those pieces in, it's not a Christian worldview. So right. do they do some study that they come up with some fact about, you know, a, a, you know, some, something, you know, you put a bunch of students in a room and they do X, Y, Z, and this is the outcome. Well, sure. I mean, there's stuff there that's helpful. We, we can glean from that. But we have to be very careful about the entire philosophy behind it. So mm-hmm. that's what Clement had to do. He had to look at these people coming out of a pagan world going, they have a worldview. They have a way of thinking. I need to know what they're thinking. In fact, it says here, the Christian convert often faced a choice between clever, eloquently defended heresy or a dull, narrow-minded orthodoxy. I found that fascinating that he wrote that. Because that's what it feels like sometimes. Well, just you just need these truths. You just need these three things. You know, Jesus died for your sin. You don't need any more. You don't need to think about anything. And I go to yeah. the scripture and I go, no. Jesus said there's an entire, we are to, you know, First Corinthians talks about the Christian mind. We are to have the mind of Christ. We are to think like God. Uh, you know, Romans tells us a transform in 12, uh, Romans 12, a transforming of our minds. We are to think differently based on the knowledge of God, right? And, exactly. And that was what Clement was trying to do. He said there's a third possibility. You don't have to have a, there's the cleverly, secularly, if you will, or pagan defended heresies, wrong ideas. But there's yep. also, well, I don't really need to go there and hear people say this. They kind of decry uh, like somehow philosophy is a bad thing or something. And it's like, well, no, everybody's actually a philosopher. We all think. And we, <laughs> we need to think these things through. We need to understand the questions. This would be to, you, you know, Sam, Schaefer talked a lot about this. Evangelism is kind of these two things. It's certainly giving you the knowledge of the gospel, knowledge of what we've been talking about, of, of who God right. is and Jesus, the work of Jesus, and our problem. But it's looking at this person's world, entering into their world and saying, what are the, what are the misconceptions you have in your world? And I want to disentangle those and show you that the answer is always the scripture. Is right, you know, right? Okay. Sorry, I've been gabbing along, but I, 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 yeah. No, keep gabbing. Okay, go ahead. Take off from there well, if you I, would like I to. I mean, I don't. <laughs> I, I guess what I, I guess we should probably move into this. Really start to connect it to evangelism, like practically now. Yeah. Um, and uh, even if we want to, we can start to unpack. I mean, our, our primary text, which is First Peter chapter 3. And oh, yeah. if you want to get into the historical context around that and start to show um, yeah. really what apologetics, you could say, biblically is. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, well, let's, let's I think do that would be cool. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think what you're talking about, we talked about this earlier, and so if I just get, I don't want to do a whole Bible study on this quick, but it's a fascinating kind of study, uh, 1 Peter 3, which a lot of people go to, and they talk about 3.15, uh, sanctify Christ as Lord, so this is 1 Peter 3.15, uh, in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account uh, for the hope that's in you, yet with gentleness and reverence. Okay, and they use that word right there: give a defense. That's apologia. And so, yep. what that on the face of it sounds like is this: on the face of it, you just read that. The face of it is it almost sounds like a command. It says you are to defend, you know, what you believe to people around you. Mm-hmm. Give a give a defense, right? And on the face of yep. it, you you could say that, and it's not like there's anything wrong with saying that. That's fine. You could say that, but if you want to get into the nuance and the technicality of this verse, okay, you've got to get the context. Yep. That you got to get just like you do in all your Bible study. You got to get the context of the book. You got to get the context of Peter, the people he's writing to, what's going on here. Okay, so First Peter obviously starts with he calls these people in the world. Um, well, let's even go before that. Peter is a Jew, is supremely a Jewish apostle. <laughs> Absolutely. Right? right out of Jerusalem. And uh, his primary ministry has been to the Jews. And obviously, if you remember, we go all the way back to the Old Testament. The Jews were a, um, uh, a chosen people. And they were foreigners. They were exiles. They didn't belong here. They were always, even their dietary life was to look different than the world around them. They were to be separate right. from the world. That's what they were, a different people than the rest of yep. the world. So Peter starts in first, right away, he talks about uh, to those who reside as aliens or sojourners, there's different words, scattered. He's talking about just like the nation of Israel, these scattered people that were God's chosen people. And he's yep. saying, and he's talking to them as he gets into first Peter, then there's a lot in here about if you will, persecution, oppression, like you're a foreigners, you, you belong here, but you don't belong here, or you live here, yep. but you don't belong here. And you could ask, the, that could be the question, you know, how do I be in this world, but not of it? That was always the age old question. I'm supposed to live here, but I'm not supposed to be, I'm supposed to be a separate people, right? Right. And he's talking about the regenerated Christian at this yeah. point. Yeah, right. Yep. So now, now he's talking about the regenerated Christian. And the quote that he gives here, and if you read your Bibles and you look at the whole context there, and again, without going through a whole Bible study, Peter does this a lot. He's, he quotes Old Testament, right? He's showing Old yeah. Testament passages to make a point. That's all I want to say right now. And he quotes Isaiah eight twelve, and he says this, uh, and do not fear their intimidation and do not be troubled. Okay. Now, when he's quoting Isaiah eight twelve, there, this is all in the context of tying this together with Second Kings 16, right? Mm-hmm. And you said you wrote this paper in seminary on this. This is King Ahaz. To make it simple, it's this. King Ahaz is king of Judah. He should be acting as one of God's chosen people, but he doesn't, like a lot of the kings don't. And there's this pressure going on. Some of the kings of uh, Israel are going to come after him. So what does he do? He said he doesn't want to get attacked. You know, there's this, this is time there's the divided kingdom between Judah and Israel, and there's this conflict, and they got this conflict between them. And Ahaz is concerned about getting his butt kicked basically. Again, you can tell the kind of guy I am. I just want to make it simple for everybody. So what does he do? He goes to the pagan king of Assyria and says, hey, why don't you help me so I don't get my butt kicked? Well, he he shouldn't have done that. That was dumb. You don't, uh, people of God don't go outside the people of God to get help. 
And he did that. And then on yep. top of that, okay, so guess what happens? Sure enough, Assyria steps in in, in, in Damascus and uh, helps Ahaz out. And there's a sense in which you, you think of the political news on a given night, Assyria helped him out. They protected him. Great, we win. We get to have peace and contentment for a while. We don't get we don't get slaughtered. It kind of looked like it worked, but then, <laughs> right? But now Ahaz goes and hangs out with the king. And what does he do? He picks up his pagan worship. They pit, mm. they set up an idol there, and Ahaz looks at this this idol and says, "Hey, we ought to mimic that." The bottom line is this: Ahaz not only went to an Assyria king instead of going to God and going to God's people. He went to right. an Assyrian king to get help. Secondly, in doing so, he brought in he brought in pagan ideas into the nation, into the nation right. of Judah, and and it brought his own destruction. Well, that's the context for what Peter's writing. That's what you got to catch. So, what Peter writes here is he's saying, uh, even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, you are blessed, and do not fear their intimidation, and do not be troubled. In other words. Okay, so it looks like they're after you. It looks like you're living in a culture that's against you. It looks like they got a better argument than you have, is what I would say. It looks like they're really academic brilliance. And But he's going, listen, don't go to them. Right. Don't, don't be intimidated by them. I don't care how many PhDs they have. I don't care how many books they wrote. <laughs> I want to tell my friends that. I'm like, okay, I, don't go there. I'm going, right. to, I'm going to God, the living God. He's my king. And I'm going to what he says first and foremost. Doesn't mean exactly. I don't want to know what these other people think. I'm not trying to be like that. I'm just saying I'm going to start with who God is and God said something. And exactly verse 15 then, this is what Peter says. But sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts. That's actually the command. What's that mean? Sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts. Sanctify is to set up. It's to set aside. It's to, you know, you are to... Get fixated on the reality yeah. of Christ as Lord in your life. Now, and the ESV translates that word honor yeah. Christ as Lord, as holy. There it is. Honor as holy. It's like set Christ up. You need to focus on Jesus. Now, focusing on Jesus is not just a, a cheerleading, um, uh, what's the word I want to use? It's not just a mantra. You know, you hear this. You know, sure. you go to the Christian bookstore and it made Jesus is Lord. Well, that's fine. I appreciate that. But that's not what this is meaning. It means in your life, if Christ is the center, and that's what he means by in your hearts, he's talking about your entire being, your affections, yeah. your affections, your will, your mind. First Corinthians talks about right. having a Christian mind, thinking Christianly based on what God says, the knowledge of God. This is what it means to sanctify Christ as Lord, is you set up Christ as the center of your life and all of his knowledge, all of the affections of Christ, all of your will, your desire is centered on Jesus. Yeah, and even even the con even like the connotation of Lord too is extremely important. Frame, okay. yep. you know, goes into this big time too. When yeah. we say Lord, he gives three aspects to that. He says it means uh, it has an aspect of control. So okay. We have to realize that when we set up Christ as Lord, He He has control of our lives. He controls us. We are, we are created by Him. He He made us. He is our God. He has yep. authority over us. Yeah. The Lord has authority, and presence. So there's this reality that we dwell with our Lord or in the presence of our Lord. Yeah. Good. 
See, now think about that, all of that in context of what Peter's writing, saying, like Ahaz, you don't go over, if you will, to the other side and borrow from them. That's what I want to say. You don't go to them and go, hey, maybe we can kind of get shoulder to shoulder and kind of be buddies. (laughs) No, no, you don't do that. And that's what he's saying. I set up Christ as Lord, and then here's the point. As I do that, that is the defense. That's what he's saying here. Always being ready. How is you ready? If you set up Christ as Lord, you'll always be ready. You'll always be ready to make a defense because you will be the lighthouse. You will be giving the answers to life. It's not like you're in a posture and I need to defend myself against you. There's an offensive posture of this that says, no, I'm the lighthouse. I have the answer. And if you will, all other ideas of the world submit to my ideas. When I say my ideas, I mean the knowledge of God. Everything else needs to submit to the knowledge of God. But we have this idea. Mm -hmm. It's strange to me. Like we're interested in what they have to say. We'll literally bring somebody in that has some PhD in some area of philosophical study or some academic study as if they're an authority for us. They're not an authority for us. That's the point. I see it all the time. And like, they're not my authority. Well, have you read their books? I really don't care to. They're not my authority. (laughs) I'd be like, like, how many books you want me to read? You know, it's like, Everybody, there's always a new person getting a degree and writing books. I'm like, okay. I. So my point is, is that we have to really be careful here because the great defense, the apologia, is us putting Christ out there as the centerpiece. Yes. And so even what I'm doing with you right now, and there's probably a lot of emotion in my voice, is I'm trying to, this is the apologetic. This is the point. Exactly. Like, the apologetic is... Keep Jesus number one, man. Keep his word number one. Keep keep the defense number one. Now with, okay, yeah. Anyway, I'm probably getting, I'm kind of getting preachy and getting excited here. Because, <laughs> I like it. Because I love it's, it. Oh, okay. Well, I'm getting a little embarrassed when I get on this podcast and do this. But it's like, <laughs> I see it all the time. I, I'm like, no, we start with God and his knowledge of God and everything else submits to that. And that yes. is my defense. That's my point. And he says it with gentleness and reverence. I mean, I'm to be kind. We've talked about this in other podcasts. Uh, it's not just to come in here. So so I guess what we're saying is that apologetics is not what some, I think, I mean, some people can make it what they want it. But I don't think of apologetics as I want to have a fight with you and I want to prove you're yeah. wrong. That's right. I'm really not interested in that. What I want to do is I want to take a real question you have and show you how it fits in the bigger scheme, if you will, that God God answers it. It, 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 I can show you that God answers that. I can go to the Word of God and show you that God fits that. And I I love the the little, uh, uh, what what do you call this? this? It's not a metaphor. Maybe it's a metaphor that Schaefer would give, Francis Schaefer would give it. He'd talk about finding a little book in the attic. You know, you find this book and there's some pages ripped out of the book. And then you find this little box and you find these ripped pages. And lo and behold, these ripped pages fit the book perfectly. Mm. You know, like, you know, you tore a page off and it actually, the letters fit and line back up and you could put tape on it. Okay, well, God created a real world, a real world, a reality that is all around us right now. And the fact is, is that he's given us answers that fit the real world. I'm always saying it that way. And the answers come from the knowledge of God, come from the scriptures. 
and the scriptures exactly. give me the answers to a real world. Not just in a necessarily like one verse per se, but like in the whole concept of what God gives us in the scriptures. You know, and and so yep. so with that said, I mean there's more to be said, but so I read philosophy not to get get give me an argument, not to give me an argument um to prove Christianity. It's not like I'm going there. I just want to know what people are thinking. I want to mm-hmm. see where they're thinking and see where their holes are, if you will, or where there's a piece missing that I go, oh, no, I got the knowledge for that. I'll, I'll plug that in, right? And so yep. we did a previous podcast, Sam, and I'm trust me, I'm not going down that whole road, but we talked about the new, this movement happening right now in evangelicalism primarily and social justice and whatever you want to yep. do with it. But that's the same sort of idea. It's like we've went over as Christians and we've borrowed ideas from another world. Exactly. And then we brought them into the church. And yep. we then we say, oh, here's a Bible verse. It fits that. But you've mm. got to realize you brought something in that didn't yep. come didn't come from God to start with. You did what you did it what Ahaz did. Exactly. That's my point, Sam. That's exactly what's happening. And you're I'm trying to convince people of this and you know, sometimes you feel like you know, uh you're beating your head against a wall, like, you know. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> because, like, it's such a powerful movement. These things take on such power. It's like this whole pandemic we're dealing with. You know, we've been reading this week about this whole, I mean, it's almost incomprehensible. Here we are at uh, the end of May 2020, that the entire mm. wor- world got into this group think. And I'm not being a conspiracist and all that. I don't want to get into all that because there's a whole lot of co- complication. But everybody must know. We have an entire world that, that followed this rhetoric or this, this line of thinking. And maybe we needed to. I don't know. I'm not trying to debate that right now. I'm just saying, like, everybody got in line. It's amazing, right? It's, yep. am, it's absolutely amazing. And, and there's been a lot on, you know, the YouTube, social media about groupthink and how people just follow along. You saw this. I've always referred to Nazi Germany. You had lawyers, doctors, teachers. Everybody bought into it. And you go, wow, what circumstances get everybody to buy into something? Well, I see this happen all the time. You see evangelicalism. I've been, you know, around this thing. I came to Christ from outside of the church. I, I, you know, entered into the church. Took me a while to figure out what the church was. I'm okay, I get it now. And I would, you know, I'm an evangelical now. And then for the last 30 years in full-time Christian ministry, I've watched these like waves come of like, where is this coming from, you know? And it's like the latest, greatest, coolest, hip thing, and and books written and conferences. And then you go, I don't even think that idea started with the scriptures. (laughs) You know? (laughs) And it did. did, I know. And you go, wait a minute. So let's get back, circle back around the wagon, back around. Apologetics is simply... um, Really, it's it, there's nothing neutral. There's no neutral thought. It's 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 looking at a question somebody has or an issue in in life, missing pages, if you will, and going, oh, I've got the pages. I have the knowledge of God. Here it is, and handing right. it to them and showing them. And then that knowledge of God, in my case, in my practice, always leads me to the gospel. Right. We talked about. To. Yeah, we talked that in, in methods, but seriously. But just imagine this. I, I mean, whether it's a panel at a university, but the jail is like my most routine thing. And it's not because I have a quote-unquote prison ministry, but I can go to the local county jail. I would say that to your listeners. You ought to find out if you have programs like this in your cities. But we have this local county jail that lets people come in and do programs. Yep. I mean, it, it, I, you can't even do this in public school anymore. 
I get to go there every week and say anything I want. It's, it's, you know, within reason, but I mean, it's crazy. Like I get to walk in a room, guys sign up, they walk into that room and I've been doing this for over 20 years now, since 1998, where are we? It's 22 years. And I literally walk in there 40 weeks a year, 45 weeks a year, other than when I'm traveling on, you know, certain nights of the week. And I, they can ask me anything they want, literally anything. I let them ask me. Now, sometimes it's something they've read in the Bible, but often it's just some, something out in the air. What about this religion? Or what about this idea? Or what about evil and suffering? Or what about difficulty? And it doesn't matter what they ask me. My first reaction in my mind, and it is how I work, and it's, you know, I've been doing it for decades, so there's an art to it. I understand that. But it doesn't matter what they ask me. It literally doesn't matter. I'm going to find a way. I'm going to think, how does that get me to the gospel? Mm-hmm. And it does every single time. Think of evil and suffering. What, after, after you kind of explore evil and suffering and some of the dynamics of it and how do we talk about it, at the end of the day, they don't want to know evil and suffering. Here's the fundamental problem. They're sinful. Yep. <laughs> We're all sinful. That's the problem. And we have a just God and we have violated that. And so in all fairness, if you want to talk about evil and suffering, look in the mirror. Because we've, yep. <laughs> we've, we've, we've created it, right? We've created right. it. And sure enough, you can go there. In fact, I saw a study. Here, here, here would be something where a study confirms something that comes from Scripture, but the study comes from a sociological, psychological world. And it's like, well, yeah, I could have told you that. Okay, so there was a time they said that men in the jail, again, just one little area of ministry I have, by the way, you know, 5%, 10% of my life. Uh, they would have said that the reason men are the majority of men incarcerated that are incarcerated, the great problem is they have a poor self-esteem, and they have a poor self-esteem because they had a bad relationship with a father or a big figure in their life. And that was the, sure. you know, think about it. that's the like the psychological, sociological studies. Well, they've debunked all that now. Like all these things, they're always changing. Here's mm-hmm. the newest. Here's the newest one. You know what the fundamental problem of the guys are in the jail is. The fundamental, with, I mean, and you see it when you walk in there. This is what's hilarious. And I've asked guys, what do you guys think the fundamental problem is in here with all you men sitting here in this jail? You know what they've, you know what they've discovered, Sam? You know what the fundamental problem is? They're prideful. <laughs> that, that's the psychological, sociological, whatever studies. And I'm like, oh, exactly. my goodness. And, and I've literally like, went, Duh. Right. I've literally went in the jail and asked guys, what do you think the number one problem with all of you guys in here? And I've literally had guys go, oh, we're all full of ourselves. We're, wow. we're prideful. Exactly. Well, yep. It's pretty fascinating. Here's the problem. You get in there and you could tie it to rebelliousness. But a lot of those guys, I'm not picking on them. They're normal men like you and me. I And I tell them that. I see them that way. I know many of them when they get out. They're, I've got friends, you know. So mm-hmm. I'm not putting them in some special category. It's just fascinating. A lot of the reason they're there is they're so full of themselves, they think they can defy anything. Yeah. They, they think they don't have to abide by the law like the rest of us. Because right. really, if you think about abiding by the law, it, there's a certain humility that says, yeah, I need to bow to that. Well, they don't really give yeah. a rip. They don't want to bow to anything. And they know it. Right. That's, that's what's hilarious. And then they want to try to skirt around it. And then when they get caught, they want to try to come up with an excuse. At the end of the day, if they just be honest, and that's what repentance is. We talk about this all the time. Genesis 3. I take them right to this. I say, what was what was the most manly thing Adam could have done? Stand up to the plate and admit the truth. Mm. The truth was, is he wimped out. Mm. Mm. You, you want to be a man? 
you want to you want to be real in life, then you need to be honest. You need to be honest with yourself, with God, and you're honest with yourself. What's the honesty? Honesty is repentance. You're a sinner. You're you're full of pride. You know you are. Now, what are you going to do about yep. it? And guess what? Yep. You you can't clean it up apart from Christ. I mean, there's right. the message, right? But it's just so funny. You could look, and all they'll probably come up with another sociological, psychological study that'll change that again, right? But, but yep. I did find it fascinating that they've come to the conclusion that, oh yeah, it's pride. <laughs> <laughs> it's it, it is. It's just in a sense just funny. So because it's, I've, I've the been scriptures ta- are so. Yeah, and I've been talking a long time, brother. So. I know you were thinking about some things, though. Why don't you... Well, no, I mean, I haven't really been... Again, this is where I, I, I start to hit a barrier because I I am... I mean, we're already getting close to our time for this episode, and we said it was just going to be an introduction, and my mind wants to immediately jump to unpacking the depth of of these different types of apologetics that people use and start to get into a... A discussion yeah. <laughs> on critiquing different methods, because if you're if you're familiar with apologetics at all, you know there's there's these the classical apologetics. Um, it's just it's built on this this idea that we can find neutral ground with the non-believer and mm-hmm. use that neutral ground as a base for our reasoning. It's right. like oh well, we both agree on such and such. Maybe we both agree or agree on on the use of the validity validity of logic and reason. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe we both, maybe we're uh, existentialists and we both agree on the use of sense perceptions and our senses. Uh, and we can use that as our, as our neutral basis to start our, our, uh, you know, our arguments. And so I want to, I, I want to get into that. Like I want to critique th- those methodologies of apologetics, but I know we, we can't with the time we have, yeah. nor do we want to yet. We want to get to that in a different series. Cause really we're still in this series of evangelism. So yeah. well, I guess just to, as a wrap up, let's just kind of bring it practical with them. And you did well, bring yeah. it practical well, with the, I, with well, the, yeah, uh, because I would want to emphasize you, you've asked me this stuff. Okay. So like I've spent a lot of decades reading about this stuff. But I don't think of myself as like this intellectual academician as much as you think I do. Maybe I just underestimate myself. But I don't think of it because I don't sit down and go, well, this is my method. I've never really done that. I, I have one desire, and it's to share the gospel with people. Well, that's what I'm, I guess that's where I'm getting to. I, and and that's I, what, I th- that's yeah. what Schaefer says, too. Right. People call me an apologist. I I rather call myself an evangelist. Yeah, so whatever. I I want to get to, I'm just being honest. Like, I want to get to the gospel. I've never sat down and critiqued my methodology per se. I believe, obviously, everything we've been saying, I've said it a hundred times now in these podcasts, right? I think God's there. I think he spoke. I want to start with scripture. I want to be a Bible guy. I want to start with the knowledge of God, and I want to bring it to people. So when they ask a question, whether it's a right technique or not, I don't think it's neutral. I think everything's laced with, you know, it's either of God or it's not. So there's no neutrality. But exactly. I'll, but I will play ball on that field. That's the, that's the thing. What I, how I would say it, like, oh, I'll roll with their question. That's why I like to read stuff. I do read, you know, some philosophy and stuff, so I can be at least. But you're not. See, this is what I guess this is what I'm kind of getting at, and yeah. this is what will take episodes to unpack is. You're not playing ball on their field and as though you're just somehow um, getting rid of the idea or the reality that Jesus Christ is Lord. You know what I'm saying? 
Say like it again. Every, every, yeah. I'm saying that when you start to answer their question, you're answering their question already with the presupposition that Jesus is Lord. Oh, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. No, again, and so that's the whole point. That's the whole point is yep. that's why we say apologetics and evangelism are so inextricably tied in our right. idea is that <laughs> right. Our, right. Whole, our whole answering every question that's brought at us or, or tearing down every false argument that we see or false belief that we see is yeah. with the presupposition. Like you said, God is there. He has spoken. He exists. He's eternal. He created all things. He yep. governs all things. He sustains all things. He controls all things. He's yeah. the ultimate authority. Christ is Lord. Christ is God. Christ came down, actually lived a real life in a human body, actually yep. died on the cross. So these are all these are all these presuppositions. We use presuppositions, things that we that you know we take to be true automatically. Yeah, you yeah say. we come to the table with. Yeah, that's how I say it. Yeah, we, we come, come to the table with. We start I come to our, the table, and I just you can say you could call it assumption. Yeah. Uh, yeah and i and And, i i'm not and by the way can i say something i'm not afraid to say somebody will say well that's an assumption you take by faith um just quickly everybody everybody does that yeah it's not just the christian that has assumptions when somebody's standing let's say an atheist is standing that person maybe they don't even say they're an atheist but they don't they deny god they don't have a relationship with god and they're standing there having a conversation with me they have an assumption that their words have meaning yeah, <laughs> they actually do. They have an assumption that there's rational thought that, or coherent thought. Yeah, and then I want to go, but yeah, but where do you get that idea? Where did you get the yeah. idea that words even have meaning? I've literally been right. told that by some people. You know, yeah, I shouldn't tell you. Some oh, I've done that. Young too, people and, in ministry, and, when I started saying no words came from God, and they were going like, "How could you say that? You know, words have no meaning." I'm like, "Well, no, God. God was the original speaker." God was the original yep. communicator. We're not. We're not locked up in a world that we came up with all this. That's not no. to, and that's not to say that words have had some changes of meaning and etymology, and you have to study stuff. But we're not locked up in just like ba 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 da 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 da. Yeah, it's not we're, Charlie Brown. Yeah, we actually have communication with each other. It's not that voice. What's that, Charlie Brown? We're not locked. They're his parents. We actually, we actually can communicate with each other to a large degree. And I would say if you get behind that and go back far enough, you go to a God, a personal God who actually spoke. And that's where the whole thing starts. See, everything starts with God. That's what's so much fun. And if you get that in your head, you realize, okay, so I'm not locked up. I'm not locked up in in just a man's idea. So my point is, is everybody has assumptions. As Christians, I have assumptions. And I take them back as far as I can. And I go back to the beginning of the ultimate reality, and it's God. The personal infinite yep. triune God, as Francis Schaeffer would have said, but it's just it is the God who's really there. He actually is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and he communicates. And this... I'm just saying that's the thing in my grid. So when that comes to apologetics, we've already talked about so much theology in these series. I obviously don't think I can quote unquote argue somebody into the kingdom of God. No, you can't. Okay, I think God converts people. I think God changes people. But God uses yep. uses our participation, and part of my participation is to say, oh, that's a great question. I understand why you'd ask that question. Let me give you the yep. answer to that. And so yep. um, I've never sat down and critiqued exactly how I do it. I more have said, well, here's your answer. Here's your question. Great question. How does that get me to the gospel? That's what I do. Exactly. <laughs> yep. And that's the point. Because... Right. I mean, w- 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 
I mean, I hope, and I, I hope that the people that are listening, that when you're thinking about apologetics, that that your whole goal is to actually proclaim the message of the gospel and bring somebody to the response of faith and repentance. I yeah. hope that's your goal. I hope that that's what you're thinking about. That that's all you like. Yeah. I mean, what's the point of having? Yeah, an argument on philosophy or something, if you don't, it's just like, what's the end, you know? Yeah. And that's where we say we need to start with the Lordship of Christ. We need to start with what Peter was saying, you know, mm-hmm. honor Christ as Lord, honor him as holy. Mm-hmm. Because that's our end goal, too, is that this person that we're talking to would then come to also have christ be their lord so we want to be we want to be consistent in our apologetic we want to be consistent in our evangelism we don't want to say yeah you're an autonomous man and you can use your reason to come to know what is true and then also get to the gospel and say uh but in order to receive christ as your lord you have to give up your autonomy and submit to his lordship like See that's the that's where I want to get into this whole yeah. another discussion of of right. methods and apologetics because we want to be consistent. Our whole goal yep. is gospel proclamation. Our whole goal is that the holy the Holy Spirit would use this gospel message to regenerate a heart of a dead person that they would come into the fold and be found to be a lost sheep, yep. and that they would come and be a child of God, adopted into the family. Great, regenerate, awesome. But again, when I am answering tough questions, let's say. I need to answer those from the scriptures with the presupposition that God is ultimate and God is the only one that's truly autonomous and God is the one that controls all things and God is the one that created you. Mm-hmm. So that when I bring somebody to the point to where I, I, let's say I finally got to the gospel, I share the gospel, and I say you can, you can receive eternal life by trusting in Christ, by submitting to him, by having him be your Lord and in repenting of your sin. And if I haven't, you could say, built this this argument or if I haven't answered their questions with that, that presupposition, then it's going to be inconsistent. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't mean that God won't use the gospel message and save him anyway. But then what happens then is then now that they're a Christian and they start walking their Christian life, there, there will end up being a time where they'll be struck with this reality that I am not autonomous. It wasn't me that, that you know, chose Christ. God chose me instead and made me alive. And then it will cause this confusion in their walk and some... It'll, it'll just create tension and it'll just be hard for them. Rather, I, I want to be a guy that's consistent all the way through, consistent with my answering of questions, consistent with my evangelism, yeah. consistent with with my discipleship and that consistency is is that god is ultimate and that god is the ultimate authority that god is sovereign and that he has spoken truthfully in the scriptures yeah and that we can i mean that's again this is my little spiel little soapbox thing (laughs) well yeah but it's it's really valuable you have to start i wish we had time i probably need to write out a bunch of examples but if you start, and we've tried to weave these things in, this whole discussion. I did it just now with words, for example. If you start with who God really is. We talked about the characteristics of God, who he is. He's the ultimate reality. 
you know, his personal attributes, his infinite attributes, you, 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 you understand who God is. That sets everything else up yep. in proper order to make sense of my world. Yep. It's just great. It's amazing to me. So here would be another one just as a little throw out to you guys. Like, here's, here's a couple. So God's a trinity. I remember, I think it was Rob Bell saying, well, we don't need to focus on the trinity or something. I'm like, what are you talking about? Okay. <laughs> so first of all, one of the great philosophical conundrums, conundrum means puzzles, complications, is a world that's full of unity and diversity. Unity means on one mm -hmm. hand, everything is kind of synchronized and it all fits together. At the same time, it's totally independent and, and diverse. So yep. on one hand, you're sitting there, Sam, I think maybe we talked about this today. You're, you're a human. So there's this unity between you and me. And I don't mean just like a feeling of immunity. I mean, like, like you think a lot of the same kind of things I think you feel a lot of the same sort of things I feel because you're a human yep. being. That's the unity. Right. And, and we could go back 500 years and find a human person sitting in a room and they would be very similar to you and me. It's called yep. unity. It's amazing. And then you take that further and there's a unity, you know, with the weather and the seasons. And at the same time, flowers are doing certain things. Insects are coming out. Birds are flying. You know, I love the outdoors as you do, nature and participating in outdoors. Well, all it, the, it's, a, it's just an unbelievable symphony how it all fits together. Exactly. Well, that's, that's called the unity. So the philosophers would wrestle with, well, how could you have all this unity but yet complete diversity? Like every human is completely different from another human. Yep. And yet the individual. whole yeah, yet the whole thing fits together in a unity. Well, it's a conundrum for philosophers. Well, it's not for me as a Christian because I believe in the Trinity. God was a perfect yeah. unity and diversity in, in his very nature, in the very person yep. he is. Three exactly. persons, well, it's, it's, it's just utterly amazing, see? And so I can go back there. The one with words, I said we talked about that. I go back to communication. Where did communication begin? It began with God. It didn't begin with yep. man. So there wasn't two cavemen sitting there going, ooh, ooh. You know, we got to come up with a word for something. God started the yeah, whole yeah, thing. Yeah. Truth, knowledge, uh, fancy word, you know, epistemology. What did it all start with? It started with God who, who came down the condescends to finite beings, meaning us, and create not only created us, but comes to us with revelation, comes to us with knowledge. Man doesn't come up with knowledge. You don't, you don't create knowledge. Man right. doesn't do that. That's we're derivative, if you said. We, the knowledge is yep, out yep. there. We're derivative, and all it all resides. True knowledge all resides with God. You see, mm. and, and mm -hmm. I could keep going down this road all day long, on every single issue in the world. You could take it back to the very nature of God. It's amazing mm -hmm. to me. It's just amazing. And the more you understand mm -hmm. it and think that way. So when somebody says, well, we really don't need the Trinity, I'm like, what are you talking about? It doesn't, you just threw right. out, you just threw everything out the window when you do that. Yep. So another one I would say is like in, in Islam, uh, God is like totally powerful, just, but he's not personal. You, you can't know this God right. and God's not a Trinity. And so it's very interesting. I always say it this way, like, Oh, so, so in Islam, God is a monad, an individual entity, okay? This one yep. being, one person. Say, think, think one person, okay? Well, that means then this one person can't love or right. have, have fellowship, okay? Unless this one person, meaning the God of Islam, Allah, uh, creates somebody to communicate with. Does that make sense? So 
So this right, Allah, he needs this to guy, create the object, the object of his affection. Yeah, he needs to create something to communicate with. Let's think of it that way. Now I want you to think about this. If this God Allah needs to create something outside of himself to meet some need within himself, it means mm. he's not. It means he's not infinite. You can say no. he's. You can say he's infinite, but in his very nature, he's not infinite. He's finite. He may be no, mega. He's not, he's not he self-sufficient. Be, he's right. Not. He might be mega finite. I get that. Like really huge and powerful finite. But the fact is, is he had a need that could not be yeah. met within himself, which means he's not self-sufficient. It means he's not infinite. It means he's not eternal. And right. so isn't it interesting? Just thinking through the attributes of God, you realize, oh my goodness, there's nothing like it. It's exactly. the all it's the and everything else in the world is derivative of that. Exactly. And that's why I always say if you actually start with God, see I say it quickly and again I you know others have said it. But you I, it's got a lot of deep thought to it, volumes and volumes of thought. If you start with who God is and then you move from there that he communicated with us and gave us knowledge and he gave us knowledge supremely in the scriptures and Jesus affirmed that, and Jesus showed up. So you could actually say supremely Jesus, and Jesus said, this is my word. Um, it's like God came to us with this stuff. And, and, and when you start getting your mind around that, the ramifications of it are huge, just huge. Exactly. And that's sort of what I'm getting at. It's not just a little mantra, you know, God's there and he spoke. I, you think about that, what I'm saying. And there's nothing like it on the face of the planet. Changes everything. Change, change. That's a great way to say it, Sam. Changes everything, and there's nothing like it. Nothing. And it, it's, it leaves you. It leaves you at this this crossroads again. Back to there's no neutral ground. It's either yep. You re, you accept it or you reject it or you suppress it. The Bible says you suppress this truth. This truth is truth regardless. God is there. He has yeah. spoken and he has yeah. revealed truth. Now what are you going to do? Are you going to suppress it and? live in this lie for a while and you know live 50 years as yeah. you, thinking that you're you know your own god and then all of a sudden you'll face reality of judgment or are you going to submit to it yeah and live according to it to the yeah. glory of god well and what's fascinating another part of this whole aspect of apologetics then is that romans one talks about suppress the knowledge of god okay you're right and, and i want to i want to table that for now okay can i just make and, one one comment about suppress yep, make, though it's like the idea of yep. holding holding down a spring I love the idea. Yeah. It's the imagery. It's <laughs> you like, can't hold it on forever. No, and you got to fight against it. So yeah. the point is, so here's the point. Here's here, Maybe this is a great point. For you. I mean, you end how you want it. It's your podcast. But like, God's put everything out there for us. He's laid it on the table, if you will. It's all mm. sitting there. You know what I mean? That's what I mean. The, you got to fight against it. It's like we live in a moral universe, too. Like, God created a moral yep. world. You can defy that morality when you do. <clears throat> it's painful. It is. It will. Now, you may do it your whole life, but you'll suffer one bad relationship after another. You'll have all sorts of complications because yep. because it's like God created a real world. It's a reality and it operates a certain way and you can't defy it. Right. Without, exactly. without a consequence, without a conflict. Yep. I, I always use a simple analogy. It's yeah. Like, here you have a, I mean, you want to you hammer in a nail into a piece of wood. And you have something that's designed to do that, a hammer, and it works well, and it doesn't break when you use it. Or, oh, I want to use this uh, this glass pot to hammer in this nail. There you go. It's great de- example. It's not designed for that, and when you do it, it will break. Yep. That's a great example. 
Yep. And that's that's my point. That's our world we live in. And because of autonomous man, because we're individual in our sinfulness, we want to say, we want to ignore God, though you really can't, but we want to kind of suppress God. So we push against yep. him and we come up with, I'm going to use the clay pot I'm, or, or the, the glass pot or, you yep. know, the scriptures say, you know, broken cisterns. You're going to go think that you got this little pot that you can go collect water in, but the thing's all cracked and screwed up. Yeah. It's and not going to, it's, it's exact, not going to. It's exactly Paul's argument in, in first Corinthians six with sexual immorality. Your, yeah. your, your body was not made for this. It was made for the yes. Lord and the Lord for the body. Yeah. It's not made. If right. you if you want to be sexually immoral, what you're doing is you're a glass pot and you're saying, I want to be a hammer. Yep. And I'm just gonna go hammer nails and it's gonna be great. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's not. No, and but that's yeah, you, we we're running out of time, so we gotta wrap this yep. up. Do it. Wrap it up. I could there's okay, too much well, more to I, say. Yep. <clears throat> I mean, yeah, that's I guess a little introduction. I guess we kinda just I, I don't wanna say we vented, but we we have a lot to say about this and I want to revisit this this topic of apologetics. But hopefully you were able to see that in our minds, and we we truly believe it's grounded in Scripture that apologetics, if you want to use the word, is all about, you know, getting to the gospel. It's all about giving an answer for questions, but doing it in a way that it ends up in a gospel proclamation. Yeah. Um, and we want to do that consistently. So yeah. we want to start with the ultimate presupposition um, that the Bible is the very word of God and that it speaks truthfully um, and relevantly to our life. So that's uh, that's our little introduction on apologetics. Hopefully you uh, found it somewhat helpful. Um, but uh, definitely tune back into. I mean, I don't know when we'll do it, but eventually we will do probably a, a larger series just really digging into these different methods that people have used in the apologetic world because I, I just love having the conversation on it. But thanks for listening. Bye.